All right, guys, we're glad that you were able to join us this Thursday night as we continue our midweek Bible study through the book of Philippians. Pastor Chris has taught uh, several weeks as we looked at the first part of chapter 1, uh, and Pastor Russell taught last week as we looked at verses uh, basically the end of 18 uh, through 26. And so tonight we're going to be in uh, Philippians verse 27 through 30. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you want to go get your Bible, you have time to do that. Uh, or if you have a tablet, you can look that up again. Philippians 27 through 30 uh, are the group of verses that we'll be looking at tonight. Uh, and we'll recap real quick, just if this is your first time tuning in or you just caught this online, uh, to give you kind of a backstory to where we're at uh, in verse 27. And so uh, Paul is writing this letter, is what it is, uh, which is now a book of the Bible, uh, to the church of Philippi, the church of Philippi that he planted early in his ministry. So he is the one that planted this church. He stayed there for a while. Uh, he was actually arrested during this process, uh, spent time in prison. It's where uh, he was praying and the walls collapsed uh, and all that stuff happened. A miracle happened. Uh, and during that time, uh, it was when he planted this church and he was eventually set free uh, and he continued his missionary journey. Well, fast forward about 10 years uh, and that's where we pick this up. So Paul is writing again to the church. He is again arrested uh, for, for sharing the gospel, for doing ministry. Uh, except this time he's not in jail, he's under house arrest. And so he ha is allowed to have visitors come and go, uh, but he still doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. And we can see that, uh, we saw that last week in the verse 19 through uh, 26, how he's not sure what the outcome is going to be, whether he'll live or whether he'll die. Uh, and so he writes this book or this letter to Philippians, and it's really a book of Christian maturity. It's a book of joy. Uh, it's, it's a thank you letter to this church for the support that they've given him, for the things that they've done, for the people they've sent to him to minister uh, to him in his time of need. Uh, and it's also where we get one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which is uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Pastor Russell unpacked that last week, what that meant and what that, look, what that looked like uh, for Paul as he walked through this. Because again, he didn't know at this time when he's writing this letter if he was going to live or die, if he'd be set free and be able to come uh, visit this church again, which we know now he later did, uh, or whether this would mean you know, his death, is this is where his story would end uh, and he would enter into eternity. So Paul said, uh, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and Pastor Russell unpacked that. And so as we move down into verse 26, uh, Paul is talking about coming and visiting them. He's talking about, you know, I think I'm going to live. I think God is going to show, uh, choose to have me released from all this because I, I believe it's going to be more prosperous for me to be alive and share the gospel and come encourage you guys and you guys encourage me. Uh, but then he, in verse 27, he flips it and he starts to say, but if I don't come, if I don't have the opportunity, if I'm set free and I don't get to make it back to Philippi, these are the things that I want to hear from you. Uh, and we're going to look at that uh, tonight. So if you will, I'm going to read through verse 27 and 30, and then we'll come back and we'll work through it together uh, and look at what Paul says to the church. And so he says in verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, so whether I'm there or I'm not, either way, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's basically like a proud dad. And he's going, he, because in the earlier verses, he said, I feel like I'm going to get to come see you again. I plan to come see you again. But if I don't, these are the things that I want to hear. And we probably all, as parents, I know that I've been here before, 
to where you're glad to hear good reports of your kids. Like one of the best things I can hear from people is the way that my uh, kids behaved uh, in a good way while I was absent, while I wasn't there to watch them because, you know, they act different in front of their parents than they do others. Uh, and so it's always good to hear a good report about your kids when you were absent. They're just this weekend, uh, I've got a seven-year-old daughter as of next month and a four-year-old daughter. And this weekend, they both spent time with both of their grandparents uh, on both sides of the family. And they got we got them back yesterday, they brought them home, and we celebrated Memorial Day together. Uh, but my mother-in-law told me, she said, you guys are doing right in raising some sweet daughters. And she told me a story about the way they had shared and played together and things of that nature. Man, for me as a dad, there's nothing better to hear than to hear that in my absence, my kids are, are being a good representation of, of who I am as a parent, right? And so that's kind of what Paul is saying here. That is what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, if I come, or even in my absence, I want to be that proud dad, that proud spiritual father that started this church, that I can say they're doing it right. As he says throughout this letter, thank you, uh, the joy that you guys bring me. As a good friend, that you hear your, your, your friends or your buddies or whoever are doing something that brings you pride because you're associated with them. And that's what Paul's saying here. And in verse 27, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, what does this mean? If you look at that word, the, the, the Greek uh, words you there, used there where Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy. That has a tone of conduct yourself as citizens of. And the Romans, of course, would have caught this as soon as they read it. You know, this cult, the, the church at Philippi would have understood what he meant by these words. That what he's saying is he says, conduct yourself as a citizen of. You can say, live consistent with where your citizenship is, is what Paul is calling. He's saying, hey, live in a manner worthy. Live consistent with where your citizenship is. And we see this throughout Scripture, but especially here in Philippians. Well, this is the first instance that Paul starts cracking that door on this uh, citizenship mentality. They were not just citizens here of Philippi or citizens of Rome, but were also citizens of something else. And what would that be? What would that other citizenship be? Where Paul continues on this train of thought later in his letter uh, in chapter 3, verse 20, where he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. So when Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he's essentially saying let your citizenship be worthy or let your actions be worthy of your citizenship in heaven. And we know that the Romans uh, took great value and great pride in their citizenship as Romans. When you were a Roman citizen, man, you had, it came with great benefits. It came with some obligations as well, but it came with great benefits. And we see that from Paul's life and in other instances with the other apostles is where they would appeal to their citizenship uh, as Romans. Is, and Paul does it in actually his first visit when he plants the church of Philippi when he's arrested. So Paul's arrested for casting out a demon, a demon out of a demon-possessed uh, young lady. Uh, they take him, they have him arrested, they're imprisoned and they're beaten. Uh, well, after the, they spend a night praying, the walls fall, they find out who they are. Uh, the authorities basically want to let them go quietly. And Paul says, well, I'm a Roman citizen and you beat me and I wasn't even found guilty because you couldn't beat a Roman citizen. They had to go before trial. They had to be found guilty, and they didn't do any of that stuff with Paul. So Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship because of the benefits that those brought him. And Paul is playing on that pride here, playing on that pride as a Roman citizen. He gets to go, man, act worthy of your citizenship, not of Rome, but of heaven. Recently, we saw this uh, when our group was over uh, in the Middle East when they got the beginning of the whole COVID crisis, and they were in quarantine over there. Uh, much of what they did and much of their appeal when they were saying, hey, we need to get out of here and we need to get back to the United States where they, they were appealing uh, to their citizenship. They were saying, we are U.S. citizens. When they appealed to the embassy, we are U.S. citizens. And that, come with, that comes with certain rights and certain privileges. 
right? We want you guys to help us get out of here. They were appealing to their citizenship. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's appealing uh, to their pride as Romans, where they go, you're, you're proud of your citizenship as a Roman, but also live in a way worthy of your citizenship in heaven, worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, where our citizenship lies changes the way we live our lives. Where our citizenship lies changes the way we live our lives, right? It changes the filter in which we see things. When we live in the United States, we see things differently than people see things in China or where people in um, South America or in Canada, they may view things differently than we do because of their culture and because of their context. We hold different traditions, right? We hold different celebrations. Uh, not that either are good or bad, but we are just, our citizenship determines the way, the filter through which we see the world. And Paul is appealing to that with the Romans. And he says, may your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And one reason that he says this, he says, whether I come or am present, I want to hear these things about you. And one reason that he says this, and I believe it's because many people, uh, this may be the first interaction that they have with another believer or that they have with the believer in general. Uh, when you go, when you travel around the world, and I've been able to travel a little bit, not much by any means, but when I was in college, I was able to go spend some time in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, and on one day we got to go spend time in Hong Kong, which was amazing. Uh, but there's obvious when you, there is obvious when you take a bunch of college kids from Tuscaloosa and the University of Alabama and you drop them in Hong Kong, it's pretty obvious uh, for multiple reasons. But one is uh, because our citizenship is different, and so we act and we carry ourselves differently. And we may in those situations have been the very first uh, Americans that somebody came into contact with. In the way that we held ourselves as Americans, the way that we acted as Americans, whether we were respectful to their culture or disrespectful, whether we showed them love and encouragement or whether we uh, were harsh to them, could have changed the whole way that they viewed uh, the United States and Americans in general because we could have very possibly been, that, that one interaction is what they built their whole system of the way that they view American society. And Paul is saying here, act worthy, act in a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. Why? Because when people look at us as proclaiming believers, followers of Christ, the way that they interpret that and the way that they view Christianity and Christ himself is the way that we hold ourselves with our citizenship being in heaven. And where our citizenship lies should, uh, lies should change the way we live our lives so that they can come to us and say, man, you really believe this, don't you? You really believe what you're saying. And as we continue, we can see Paul says, again, whether I come or whether I go, these are the things that I want to hear. He says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And so there's three things that Paul says he wants to hear, that Paul wants to hear or see when he comes or when he hears it from other people, what the church at Philippi is doing. And the first thing is this. He wants to see that the church at Philippi is standing firm in one spirit. So what does this mean? This means unity. Standing firm in unity. Standing in unity of, of spirit and in mind. And this, in the Roman day, this stand firm comes from the military. It was more of a military term. And the Romans being a military or a militaristic society would have known this. And so standing firm, they would automatically know what he meant by unity. And you can often picture, you know, an army standing in unity, repulsing attacks. When I think of it, I think uh, of the Battle of the 300, which was an actual event. It wasn't just a movie that was released in dramatic fashion back in the early 2000s. Uh, but it was an actual military battle that happened where 300 Spartans went and took on uh, 100,000, 150,000 
Assyrians under King Xerxes. Now, and the thing that they were able to do, it was 300 Spartans, about 700 other uh, warriors from other groups that came. And the other ones, the other 700, most of them surrender, history tells us, but the 300 Spartans did not. And the reason that 300 Spartans were able to hold off 150,000 Assyrian military men was because of their unity and because of where they placed themselves. And so unity, the Romans would have known what he meant by stand firm. It would have automatically went to unity in a military sense where you're defending something. You're one spirit, you're one mind, you're one goal. And then Paul continues and he says, so I want to see you standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And then he says, I want to see you striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul goes from using a military term to more of an athletic term in the Greek of striving. And Paul would have had access uh, to watch the, the Roman games and the, the Greek games because the Greek culture was big on health and athletics. And so when he said striving together for the gospel, they would have automatically known what that meant, right? Teamwork, unity. So it wasn't just a defensive measure and standing firm where you go, man, we're not giving up what we have. But it was also an offensive measure where you're, not, you're moving the ball down the field. So you're not just a military standing firm, defending the ground you've taken, but you're continuing to march forward, striving together, taking new ground for the gospel's sake. So he says, stand firm, strive together. And then he says, not frightened in anything. Not frightened in anything. So what does this mean? It means not startled, but confident in what you believe. So he says, stand firm, strive. Don't be frightened because you know where your citizenship lies. Remember, it all goes back to that. You know where your citizenship lies, and that's in heaven. And then he continues and he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. This is a clear sign of their destruction. What is a clear sign of their destruction? What's he talking about? What could it be here? What's a clear sign of their destruction? Well, a clear sign of their destruction is the fact that we as believers stand firm that we are striving for the gospel, that we continue to promote the gospel, that we continue to move the gospel, share the gospel with the world. And finally, that we're not frightened. That everything that we do, we do out of hope. We do out of promise for the future. We do out of a king that we know is coming home. We're not frightened. He says, this is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So how can something be a sign of destruction but also at the same time be a sign of our salvation. It's a sign of our salvation because of the fact that the way that we suffer, the way that we go through things, our, our, they, they, people realize that our unity can't be in and of ourselves. We've seen it in businesses before, right? When things get hard, when times get tough, the business seems to fracture. And the unity is pulled out of it. When, it, when the unity is removed or the business or whatever it may be, it's not long before the business fails. And it's the same way in the family of Christ. It's the same way in the body of Christ as a church and as a group of believers. That when hard times come, when things that are unexpected come, when everybody else says splinter and run and the church says, you know what, we're going to stand in unity on this. We're going to strive to continue to promote the gospel in any way that we can in our culture. And we're not going to be afraid because of the joy that Christ brings and because of when our citizenship lies. It's a sign to us of our salvation, but a sign to others of their destruction. And then Paul says in verse 29, it says, but of your salvation, it says, and that from God. So in verse 29, he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, 
but also suffer for his sake. So we could also read that, for it has been gifted to you. It has been given to you. That for the sake of Christ, that for the sake of the gospel, you should not only believe. And so Paul is saying here, that when we look at this, belief is the first step. So Christ has gifted you. He has granted you belief. And that's the first step that we are able to enter into eternity after this life because we believe in Christ. And he goes, that's a gift. That opens the door. That's where we enter into eternity. That's where we have a platform before the Father. And that's just the start of the great adventure that is living out the gospel here. So he says, Christ, that you should not only believe in him, then he says, but also. So but also means there's more to come, right? Belief is just the beginning. And he says, but also that we may suffer for His sake. This is a gift that's been given to us that you should believe in Christ, believe in Him, but also suffer. So you go, man, how is suffering a gift? How is suffering? I get the first part. I understand how the gift of salvation is in fact a gift. But how is suffering a gift? How is that something that is given to me and I look at it in a light where I go, man, this is a good thing, right? A gift is a good thing. Well, it goes back to Verse 28, when he says, this is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation. It's a gift of suffering that for us as believers, when we walk through valleys and we walk through hardship, when we walk through suffering in life, that we are pushed into who Christ is. That as we suffer, we respond differently than the non-believer. And this is a sign to us of our salvation that we are being moved back to Christ, closer and closer to Him but also a sign to the non-believer that, man, there's something different. There's something different about them that they can suffer in this way. That they can suffer and still hold strong to the gospel. They can suffer and still hold on to their citizenship in heaven. That they can suffer and still look into hope and go, man, I'm joyous because of what Christ has done for me. And it's a sign to them that, man, something about you is different. Have you ever had somebody look at you when you thought you had a great idea and you go, you, you're planning it out right and you're selling it, what it means and what you're going to do and the way that you're going to do it. And, and they look at you and go, you really believe this, don't you? Right? It's many times when we as believers are called to do things and we explain it to loved ones and we go, I've experienced this in my own life. And you go, man, this is where I feel like God is calling me. This is what I feel like God has called us to do. Right? And you put it out there and you say, man, this is where Christ is calling us. And people go, you really believe this, don't you? Like, you really believe that Christ is who He says He is and that there is an eternity after this and that your citizenship is heaven. And you go, yeah, I can. That's the sign that people see and they go, man, this is, there's something more to this life than just living here. There's something more that they have the answer for because they suffer with a purpose. And then in verse 30, Paul continues and he says, suffer for the sake of the gospel. And he says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul's saying, you're suffering. It's a gift to believe, but also to suffer as we're engaged in what? The same conflict that he had. So the conflict that he had that he would have been referring to here in Philippians uh, with the church at Philippi would have been when he was arrested on his church planting mission here in Acts chapter 16. He was arrested for sharing the gospel and for casting out demons. He was thrown into prison, but while he was in prison, he continued to promote the gospel to the point to where the prison guard was saved and his family. And now he's in prison again writing. That's why he says, and now here that I still have. And so Christ, uh, Paul goes, 
We're gonna, we have the gift of salvation from Christ. We have the gift of suffering in Christ. As we continue to promote the gospel, as we continue to share the gospel, and the fact that we continue to share the gospel, the fact that we continue to hold on to our citizenship in heaven, and that we continue to have joy, and that we continue as a church to stand firm and to, and to strive together and to not be frightened by the obstacles that come up, whether that's uh, a virus that kind of throws things out of whack and we go, man, we as believers know there's more hope. We as believers know that we are built for situations like this to minister to our community, to minister to our people, and that we as believers shouldn't be frightened by this because this is not where our citizenship lies. When something like uh, COVID-19 happens, man, this is an opportunity for the gospel to be promoted. For us as a church to stand together, to strive together in promoting the gospel, whatever that looks like. For you, that may mean, hey, I got more time to get out and share with my neighbors. And as part of that, I share the gospel. And I get to share with them the hope that I have in Christ. And why? Am I concerned about the virus? Of course. But am I deeply worried and depressed? No, because I have a joy in Christ and more to come. That's why we as a church put resources into our online services because when this happened, obviously we can't have church anymore because of the government restrictions. But we can continue to promote the gospel, standing firm, striving together, not afraid. It just looks different. And we're engaging in that same conflict that Paul was, which is the promotion of the gospel. And so tonight as we close, I would just simply ask you this. Are you living as a citizen of heaven? Are you living in a way that makes people look at your life when you say, I'm a follower of Christ? And when they start hearing about your life and the way you live, do they go, wow, you really, you really believe what Christ says and you really believe the Bible. You really believe you're a citizen of heaven. And you go, yeah. Are you living a life that when you start talking about being a believer, they go, really? Like, I haven't seen any of that in your life. There's nothing that, you know, the way that you worry and your anxiety and your fears and all those things seem so real in the way that I worry. I don't understand the difference. So are you living in a way worthy of your citizenship in heaven. And then as verse 30 says, are we actively engaged in the same conflict that Paul had? And that conflict isn't against people. That conflict is against unbelief. Where we as individuals are engaged in this conflict just like Paul was. And believers have been throughout generations and will continue to be. The conflict of sharing the gospel with our family and friends. And Paul tells us how in chapter 2 with the humility of Christ where we make others more than ourselves and we humbly serve and they go, there's something different about you. You might be the CEO of a business, but you act like you're a servant here in my home. And they go, there's something different about you. And are we living in a way worthy of our citizenship in heaven? And are we engaged in the battle of unbelief and sharing the gospel by standing firm, striving together, not afraid of what the future holds. But we look at the past and we go, man, that was awesome. But then too, we look at the future and say, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for just being able to share. I thank you for the uh, ability, Lord, to be able to get online, to gather online and, and together to strive together in the gospel as we are reaching people you know, throughout the country and throughout the world through our uh, Facebook feeds and other social media, God, that you allow us to continue to strive for the gospel even when things change. God, I pray for our church that we can stand together, that we can strive together, not be frightened, 
by our opponents, God, by the things that come up, by, by events like COVID-19 that, that knock us off balance. But Lord, they don't stop the promotion of the gospel. Nothing ever can or ever will. Father, I pray and I pray that you help for me to continue to be engaged in that same conflict that you were engaged in, in the conflict that Paul was engaged with when he wrote this letter, and the conflict that the believers before us, the same conflict they were engaged in. God, help for me to be engaged in that daily. And for our church as individuals and as families to be unified, to be striving together, to not be afraid. God, and to be promoting the gospel no matter where we go, not only in actions, but in words as we love and as we serve our communities. It's in your name we pray. Amen.